This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times on a simply massive morning. The European Super League becomes reality, but what are the implications? Is it actually going to happen or is it a massive negotiating ploy? We'll dive into the details with all the latest reaction and react to the big news coming out that Jose Mourinho has been sacked by Tottenham Hotspur. Wow! Also, the quadruple is over for Manchester City. We'll review the FA Cup semi-finals. All of that and more on today's bumper episode of The Game Podcast. To help me through it all, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, Matt Dickinson, and we're joined by The Times' chief sports writer and the man who exclusively broke the story of the European Super League, Martin Ziegler. How are you doing, guys? Very well, yeah, I think. <laughs> so let me summarise where we are with the European Super League. Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs and Manchester City and United as well have all agreed to join a new European Super League alongside the Italians AC Milan, Juventus and Inter Milan and Barcelona, Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid of Spain. From what we know, the European Super League would be a new midweek competition. Those involved want to continue playing in their domestic leagues as well. And that has left the Premier League and UEFA to come out publicly and say players would be banned from their competitions and that clubs would be banned from the Premier League as well. Juventus president Andrea Agnelli has stood down as chair of the European Clubs Association, having previously stated he wouldn't contemplate this move. FIFA has expressed its disapproval. They've called for more dialogue. So much going on. The European Super League has sent a letter to FIFA and UEFA saying it has already filed a motion before the relevant courts to ensure it can be established without punitive measures. The bank JP Morgan have confirmed they will be financing it. You can read more on this currently developing story at The Times right now. Just subscribe to The Times and Sunday Times if you haven't already. But we'll delve into the details that we know at this stage. Martin, with you in particular, as it's your exclusive story, tell us how this all emerged and, and who exactly is responsible. I got a tip off um, Sunday Sunday morning, um, late morning, last day of my holiday, preparing to... Uh, put my feet up and uh, I realized actually this is going to be quite a big deal if I could get it stood up. So, um, yeah, it took about probably about an hour for for me to get get it confirmed by another source. Initially, I got it confirmed that five of the six clubs, six big six English clubs had signed up, um, but Manchester City hadn't so far. And then about an hour later, it was confirmed they, they had as well. So, yeah, it was. Um, and then I wasn't quite expecting it to reach the, the stage where you had the Prime Minister of Great Britain and the President of France were intervening on the story. But uh, nevertheless, yeah, it's uh, quite some day. How realistic is it? There's a lot of timing involved here. Your wafer uh, was set to make a decision, are set to make a decision on their new 36-team format in the Champions League today. So it's not really... a coincidence is it is it is it playing games a little bit with fifa and uefa i think it's gone beyond that actually i mean uh, you know, there's been you know for the last 25 years you know super league threats have come and gone um but we haven't seen anything like this before we we haven't seen um yeah a, a bank an investment bank putting 4 billion euros behind a project we haven't seen the clubs actually going out and stating they are joining the super league this has gone to a completely new level. Um, so, I, I, it's a, yeah, it, it's a real, real possibility. Um, 
the, you know, what UEFA do, what FIFA do now, um, I, I, I actually think what's going to happen first is this is all going to end up in the courts and that's where things are going to be decided. There's a part of me that wants to play devil's advocate today, I've got to say, because I look at football as a business. Lots, you know, it has been for a long, long time. There's been a lot of money involved. And strangely, I've always wondered who has the divine right to run competitions. Um, Now, we know the rules state, of course, that if you sign up to any competition, aside from the Champions League and four other competitions, you'll be kicked out of the Premier League effectively. But then who gave the Premier League the defined right to, to, you know, basically tell these clubs that you've got to be in our competition and you, you can't be in anyone else's, especially given the billions of pounds that have been invested to own the clubs? Um, does this leave the Premier League really at, at its its biggest test, the biggest test that English football has ever faced? Yeah, probably. It probably is. Um, I mean, I, you're quite right. No one, no one can tell the club in which competition they should play. But I, I think the issue here is that they want to have their cake and eat it. They want to be in the Super League and play in the Premier League. Because actually, I don't think any, I don't think any of the English clubs would countenance a, a move where they didn't play in the Premier League because... That you, they would be cutting off their nose to spite their face, and, and think of all the money they'd be losing from that. So they, they want they want everything. Um, of course they do, and I think that's the issue. Not not it's it's not the fact that the the football authorities are saying you you must play in our leagues. They're just saying if you want to play in our leagues, then you can't play in this one as well. Also, did the Premier League not draft their own rules? And is the Premier League not still a members club? Well, it is a members club, but it is also it, it, it's part. You know, part of it is it's the FA Premier League officially. So the Football Association it still has a veto over everything in the Premier League. It's still part of English football. It's not. It's not just a members club. I just wondered what Andrea Agnelli of Juventus had to play in all of this. Ed Woodward of Manchester United stepping down as well. Which clubs? I think fans will be interested in which clubs were driving this so very much the 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 the, the four main clubs were real madrid manchester united ac milan and juventus now you're right andre agnelli played a very significant role in this he he basically led uefa down the garden path um he he told them he was happy to accept the new champions league format because he's president of the european club association he was until last night um that he was happy with everything, the Super League wasn't going to happen, and suddenly on Saturday night, UEFA trying to contact him to agree a joint statement of intent over the, of the new look Champions League, and he he disappeared off the radar. He, you know, he just nobody could get hold of him. None of the other ECA board members could get hold of him, and then they suddenly realised what had happened. And so it is no surprise when the official Super League statement came out, there he was, vice chairman of the new Super League, Andrea Agnelli. Fans will be disappointed, massively disappointed in those major clubs. I've seen fans talking about uh, the desire to support other teams now. Um, I, I really, it seems realistic, but it also seems a fantasy because of exactly what you've pointed out, Martin, the idea that, that, that clubs will walk away from their domestic competitions. What is the reaction going to be like from the Premier League? I think we've had words from them already about possible sanctions and punishments. We've seen the likes of Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, Rio Ferdinand saying deduct points, ban them from next season in the Premier League. In fact, take away their prize money for this season as well. Are we going to see anything as strong as that? 
I'm not sure. I mean, to me, actually, I think a, a more serious challenge in in a way for all these clubs, and especially the the, the, the English ones, is the, is the reaction of their fans. Their fans, as far as I can tell, to a, to a person, absolutely hate this. All the official supporters clubs have have um, responded very um, strongly condemning it. Uh, if you look at the the, the replies to the, the the Twitter announcements, the, the the fury from the supporters is is incandescent. So I actually think that might be the thing they have they have misjudged the greatest in this. Maybe they need to explain some of what has happened in their relationship with UEFA and FIFA over the years. Then, because you know the, the, the statements that have come out over the last twenty four hours basically paint UEFA as a, a middleman, an unnecessary middleman in terms of selling rights. Um, I think FIFA had made 6.44 billion US dollars in revenue in the last year, despite the pandemic. Most of that selling rights for various things, computer games, etc., all using the names, faces of players and clubs as well. Um, and, and the clubs might turn around rightly and say, hold on a minute, not only have FIFA and UEFA been found guilty of corruption over the years, not too distant past, uh, but also, of course, we could sell all of these rights ourselves and make so much more money. Yes, of course, that underlines the point that it's about greed. But from a business point of view, it makes sense. Well, of course, that's what the, the clubs are going to be claiming. Um, I mean, FIFA and UEFA, they make the, the revenues they make. They're, they're, they're not-for-profit organisations. So everything they make is is basically given back into the into world or European football. Very, you know, it might be payments to um, national associations or solidarity payments to smaller clubs, whatever. So, it, I, I, I think it, what the clubs are saying is, you know, we we don't want you to have that money to pass on to to the, the rest of the football pyramid. We want that money, and then we'll decide what we do with it. Matt, what do you think? Oh, well, first of all. Um well done to Martin for, yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest scoops that anyone, any journalist would hope for in any year. So, um, you know, he's he's as well connected in, in these fields as, as anyone and uh, has proven it again. Um, that said, let's hope it's a story that um, turns out to be trampled on um, and that's putting it politely um, crushed to death. But I, I have to say, I fear, I mean, I, I, I went to bed um, feeling angry and woke up feeling worried uh, i think that's the best way to sum up my sort of moods of the last 24 hours you know went to bed angry for the reasons that so many of us are angry um just thinking it's you know it's it's just not how it's not how competition is run it's not how certainly football competition is run that you you know go off and make your own competition and can't be thrown out you know you can't be demoted from it um just because um and i've woken up worried because of this nagging fear that um, these again, I have to choose my trying to stop swearing. Um, that these these owners um, think they can get away with it and might just get away with it. I mean, the very least I think they're expecting to get out of this. The very very least is that UEFA will basically cave and give them the the, the, the you know control of broadcast revenues. So it's a sort of super league by any other by whatever means, you know, they, they get about. This is what they've threatened for the last 25 years. As Martin says, this is certainly the, the, the most biggest escalation of that threat. But yeah, Martin points out, and, you know, I think we've all seen social media goes nuts, but we always have this idea that the world is on Twitter. The world is not on Twitter. You know, that's a portion of the world. And, you know, it's a pretty small portion. And it's also not, 
you know, every Man United fan across the globe. It's not every potential TV set of eyeballs. And that's, that is where I get worried. You know, the official fans groups are coming out rightly as are thousands upon thousands of, of fans, you know, and we see that rage and we hear it because it's on Twitter. But that is different from the world and the potential of the world. And that's what these these owners are seen to be banking on. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's say that's where the worry bit comes in that um, I certainly think, you know, four or five, six of these owners actually do think they could get away with this. You're not a Tottenham fan, are you? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm a fan of, a, of an, <laughs> a, another um, Super League giant who, who managed oh, to scrape are. a 1-1 draw with Fulham yesterday. <laughs> so how are your feelings about it as a fan? Because we, sp- we speak about the fans in a, a very much, you know, distant role, but we're football fans, of course. Just finally on this, how are you feeling? Although I'm a fan of, 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 of the football club, I'm not a fan of the owners um, and I'm not a fan of, of the, the powers that be in, in this club. So I have absolutely no allegiance to them. So I, I just think it's a sort of a betrayal of what football sh- is really should be all about. Martin Ziegler, brilliant story. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the game podcast. I really appreciate it. I do feel behind the scenes that I think lawyers have been hard at work for everybody involved because I think on the face of it, this new Super League sounds like a cartel and most European law would be anti-cartel. But the fact they've put out a statement sort of preempting, sort of trying to make out they're the victims, that you can't stop them doing what they want to do, really smacks to me that they've sought a lot of legal advice, which has said, no, it's fine. You know, you can you can do this. Um, I've, there is precedent that you can't tell a sport individual sports person that they will be denied um, the ability to represent their nation if they join a certain party that there is precedent that that's illegal. I suspect these um, grasping owners have have spent quite a lot of dosh on legal advice and they're ready for what I imagine would be quite old-fashioned legal reposts to what they're proposing. The Premier League's kind of trump card is still the ability to expel these clubs. And Project Big Picture's underlying sort of uh, purpose was to get rid of the one club, one vote system in the Premier League. And the fact that that still remains means that the power is surely still in the Premier League's hands. And if it, and that's the kind of where this, 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 this battle lane is drawn. Like my, my impression was always that when so much money poured into overseas, foreign money poured into English football, the fear, biggest fear was that one day an owner might walk away. But like, I don't think anyone expected that they would take the football clubs with them. <laughs> and like, you know, because that's what's being threatened. If you're if you're willing to risk expulsion from the domestic competition and to completely ignore the tradition, the history, the native fan base, then you're it's like theft. <laughs> that you know, that's the that essentially is the biggest threat here. So the most chilling thing I've read was the fact that they, they are taken to calling match going fans legacy supporters which means that there is a new kind of future of fan of, of fandom and it's global. Well, we're already, Gregor, there already is that future. I did, I... Um, there is, but we can't ignore three, the legacy fans. I know, but three years are. ago, I, went, I, went, I trotted around Premier League grounds working out who was getting tickets. And it was, it was people on 
you know, super deluxe packages coming over with the family. Half the family would go and see a play on the West End and the others would do the, the Premier League experience. And they were welcome because they spent a lot of money in the club shop. And it, they sp- they'd have spent more than the legacy fan who lives around the corner and doesn't need to buy something in the club shop every Saturday or, or Monday night. I think we'd, we were close to reaching the tipping point where there were too many people buying tickets to go into a Premier League ground to watch fans as, as much as the football with their selfie sticks and the recorders and sending, you know, stuff on social media to their mates, look where I am. So eventually, eventually, if you have too many of those and too few legacy fans in the stadium, it was already becoming something that isn't what we dream football is. I mean, we're already losing that sense that each stadium is jam-packed with people who are legacy fans. But I agree. I mean, that's my point. And that's that's my worry. I mean, that is why it has turned from anger to worry because that's their gamble is that, you know, there are enough of, you know, across across the globe, there there is enough interest in, you know, Manchester United versus Barcelona six times a season from eyeballs anywhere and everywhere and and i think you know i I don't suppose they've got um you know everyone's a potential customer but you know there is you know there is not the not the need not the need for you know i mean obviously they you know for hardcore anymore they've got enough customers they think that they can they can keep going they're they're punt they're almost you know i wrote in it this morning um you know they're daring you to turn off they're daring you to say oh you know what I'm going to boycott Barcelona v Man United. I'm going to boycott Lionel Messi. You know, I care to, you know, that that's the dare and that that's the bluff that they're calling on you. And it's, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, and we've seen a lot of people are saying that, you know, I spoke to a few mates this morning. It's like, you know, I'm ashamed of my club. My club's a disgrace. You know, I never thought Man United would do this. I never thought Arsenal would do this, but you know, it's a big call to then say, I'm going to boycott this. I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. And, and who wants to be in that position? And that's, that is, that's, you know, and then just on Gregor's point about throwing them out of the league, I mean, that's another fascination. You suddenly, you sort of think that through and you think, yeah, that that is the big card that the Premier League have to play. But, you know, I know this is sort of, you know, just trying to think it through. What, what if these six clubs then try and cherry pick 10 other clubs and just say, look, you're desperate enough for the money. We can, we can, we can shout you into an, a, a new standalone domestic league, you know, come and join us. Here's, you know, here's 200 million to joining fee. Here's a guarantee of this income. Obviously they need to find the TV companies that will pay for that, but who, who knows with direct streaming or whatever, who, who, you know, this is the ramifications. The more you think through, let's say the more worrying, troubling, you know, appalling the whole thing gets. Okay, Matt, you you referenced your column in the game today on Monday and you, it's very good and you really sort of stick the stick the hot poker in it. But if it happens, you are not going to boycott it, are you, Matt? You are going to report on it for the Times. It, it, it will, it doesn't, well, that's, everybody, that, that's everybody, everybody, everybody in today's papers should still go. I don't know. I think, that, I think that's a question we should be asking each other now, all of us. I think we should be saying, is this something that we should take any part in? If whoa, these clubs whoa, whoa. are willing it's to break good away if you from... used to be a footballer, Gregor. It's all, I've got bills to pay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That this, but that's the thing. You've got the, 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 These clubs are supposed to be such a big draw. And, but actually, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the Times boycott them. It doesn't matter if, you know, any every other English newspaper does. Or, you know, the traditional media. New media will form. 
new new media is already formed and it will report on it and it will it will be poured over because these clubs are such big such big draws it is disgusting but for me the the there's still the trump card has to be you ha- i have to have some faith that the other 14 clubs have the morals to say no if they were if they were asked to come because possibly they don't have the same global appeal that would be an even bigger risk and they would be alienating the local fans you know i, I i'm not sure you can pick another 10 clubs matt that would be big enough and strong enough to do that so i think the the most important thing, the the key thing now, is that they call their bluff. They say, if you go, you're out. Let's also sort of just think on that, you know, and, and I, I don't, I think it has to be, you know, that has to be live discussions as we speak. But again, also, you know, and this is the, and this is where it just it's, gets so soul destroying because then you think, okay, right, so what's funding the Premier League as it is? It's 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 the TV is the TV revenue which is massively distorted by by you know if you put Man you've put a terrible Man U game on that gets more viewers than a brilliant Burnley game, that's the reality uh, as it stands. And again, that is the it makes you it makes it makes you sick to the stomach that the, the the leverage they have by ownership of these clubs that have built up this you know extraordinary following and extraordinary heritage and history is a pretty scary leverage that 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 is that's you know and I, I I'm with you in the sense of you know you want we want to call their bluff we want to say you dare do this this is how we're going to retaliate but it's these are, the, the stakes are big <laughs> scarily big here my gut feeling is that they would roll back then I don't think they could they could risk alienating an entire fan base and essentially taking a, a club from its country. I don't think they could do it. So it's important they call their bluff in the first place. But here's the thing. If they want to set up their own Super Premier League, if you like, there's six of them already in and they, they extend that offer to the other 14 Premier League clubs. Now imagine even seven of the 14, half of them say, okay, you're going to give us, instead of hundred million pounds a year that we get in the Premier League, we're going to get two hundred and fifty million pounds a year from the new Premier League. For a lot of owners, that's worth it. And once the other five go, well, then all of a sudden you've got more than half of the current Premier League going to the new Premier League. And if they don't get the remainder, the remainder of the clubs from inside the current Premier League, they can get them from inside the EFL. They might get Rangers and Celtic. Who knows? They, but they can get them. You know, as soon as that product becomes so much more financially viable how can you run a business and turn it down and, and that's the reality for a lot of the owners in football the answer to, is because you're putting the power for all future revenues into the hands like project big picture of a small elite so if you think you're getting that dangled a carrot of bigger revenues now to come and join us they can change that in the future that's the same as project, project big picture there are a lot of clubs for whom the Champions League is a distant dream that will probably never materialise. So what for them, it's like, well, we'll take the 250 million quid. For the owners, many of the owners, particularly in the EFL, might have bought those clubs thinking we'll get to the Premier League and we'll sell the club anyway. So for them, it's short term. They don't care about being in the Champions League. They care about their club, which is currently worth £50 million, being worth £500 million in 10 years' time, and then making a huge amount of money on, on the product they bought. So let's talk about why this is, and it's who it's who owns the football clubs. That's really the you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and, also, yeah, and, and the that. fact is, who owns who owns the clubs is is um, you know is a, is a we've had the coming together of a group of owners who are are as divorced and distant from 
you know any sense of you know, collective as as we've ever seen that's just the fact isn't it it's it's there is uh it's been the coming together you know glazers um fenway who it, it is completely about exploitation then i think as i've written this morning that's allied with desperation from certain clubs the fact is that real madrid you know real madrid are at huge financial um challenges uh, debts um that they then they italy there's a sense of fear of missing out of you know the premier league you know there's there's a few um income has soared and they're trying to make sure that they're not in any kind of you know discrepancy there so there's a few you know um i think there's a written greed fear envy you know these <laughs> they're 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 pretty unpleasant but they're also powerful forces and you know there's no way to shape the modern game but those are the the driving the driving emotions behind this also i think one of a particularly distasteful element to this is i can't help but feel that the pandemic has made them feel it's possible because uh, empty stadiums hasn't stopped football being something that everyone wants you know it's wall to wall coverage fake fan noise no one likes it but it's worked the money's still coming in the broadcasters you know still regard it as as a very valuable product i'm sure they're thinking we can cut through all the pain and angst and oh my god can't believe my club are doing this they can cut through that because of the the bigger marketing possibilities and they know that they're there because we've had a pandemic so it's a, it's a really terrible thing to think that these these people are are sort of benefiting from something that's been so 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 tragic and also I think it was a Swiss ramble. You said that you highlighted that the 12 clubs are 7.4 billion in debt and half of that is borrowings from banks. It's not borrowing from the, from the owners. So, yeah, the pandemic has made that worse, but they're also, they're also running at extraordinary losses. And that's, that really is why they think we need to, we need to vastly swell our revenues here to cover up, cover these losses. Another thing that kind of took, took my eye was that, There'd be a fifty-five percent cap on salaries and transfers. So, you know, all we could talk about how the Premier League has has blown up in, in its size and its and its its might. But fundamentally, the money has usually found its way to the stars of the show, who are the players. That would no longer be the case. The the, the money would be going in the back pockets of 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 these owners and. You know that makes it even more distasteful, and the investment banks that are underwriting it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so uh, I'm not sure how distasteful that is. I mean, most companies don't give out that much money to their staff, do they? Is that a good thing? You know, is it good good to exploit workers, <laughs> which is essentially what most capitalists <laughs> no, businesses no, do? Let's be realistic. I'm if, not saying the footballers are exploited. They're clearly, clearly they're not no. exploited, but. <laughs> It's, it's an entertainment industry. They are the people who should be making the money. And if otherwise, it should be reinvested into the club to, you know, an infrastructure and, you know, they should help the communities in which they're based. But we're getting back to the whole, process, the whole idea that this is now a globalised sport and these things are completely, you know, distant to these owners now. You raise a very good point there, Greg, and maybe the players will have their own breakaway league and we'll get their announcement <laughs> later on in the league that they want control of revenues. On that, I would say Ch Charlie Austin's been the most outspoken I can see so far. Um, clearly. <laughs> He's ruling. He's ruling Queens Park Rangers out of joining um, <laughs> one one of any additional. Invites. I don't know. QPR's a London club. You know they're going to be very profitable if they join the European <laughs> Super League. Especially no, for but that's, I mean, you know, if if we get a completely um, you know sort of 
batty about it but that, that you know that's exactly a club yeah you would you would like to think a club where you're giving money to for your season ticket you'd like to think oh yeah they were there this is a club that is rooted in the community and and you know would would do the honorable thing but really you know you suddenly get an invite out of the blue to join some league and pay off your debts and here's say 200 million quid here and whatever it, it you just it's it's these four it's it's the sense i, I say I'd, I'd come back to the point of the sort of fear it's the sense that there are huge forces here that that we do not have control you know i've read quite a few places that you know the fans are in control they are only if they vote in their tens of millions together and you try and harness that together is a very very complex difficult thing and that's the as customers we do have should have control but i think there is actually i think the rage against this is partly fueled by a sense of impotence to be honest that's that's the that's the scary bit about it for me i still think there's a possibility down the track as well that clubs in the efl if not the efl as an entirety if they are offered huge sums of money given the problems that they are in because of the pandemic might find it extremely difficult to say no as well and there could be a huge sea change in terms of whether the Premier League as we know it exists. Well, look at Project Big Picture. I mean, that was completely, you know, that was the, they were buying off the, the EFL clubs, weren't they? That was, you know, here, take 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 some money and vote, you know, allow us to run the, the game for eternity. I mean, that was that was the whole play there. So yeah, everyone, I mean, that showed the EFL is sort of buyable, basically. What do we do with these clubs now? The uh, I know the Premier League, La Liga as well this morning, coming out totally against this and their clubs that have been involved. Should there be points deducted? Should there be financial sanctions? Should they be kicked out of the Premier League for a year, maybe? Sent to the EFL? Who knows? Because of just the letter of intent, the way that they've gone for this, so many people have been left with a bad taste. I, I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know on this one. Alison, what do you think? You've got to think what would hurt them. And I don't think, because you we're talking about, I mean, you know, this morning, okay, uh, Matt woke up feeling worried. I woke up thinking, oh my, what the, because on the front of the game, we've got three men in suits, three men in suits, three owners on the front of the game. And you think, oh my word, this is, this is, this is not good. How do you hurt them without hurting the people who have grown up, many of whom football is everything. It's their community, it's what allows them to get on with their family. It's, it's their life. It's, it's, it's what they live for almost. How do you hurt the owners without hurting them? I mean, if you say you to say, right, we're stripping away all the titles you've won, they're not going to count. Well, that doesn't, that's not going to hurt a man in a suit. It's going to really hurt the, the fan who spent a lot of money following the team around the country to watch them do that. Probably the only thing that would hurt them would be, as I mentioned earlier, getting a better lawyer than they've got to prove that what they're doing is illegal and they simply cannot do it. I have a very strong suspicion that the FA, the Premier League, have taken their eye off the ball of this legally. I'm more worried about the the the, the, your, the breakaway people thinking they've got the legal ace up their sleeve because they're, they're saying things I didn't think it was possible to say that their rights are being infringed if you stop them doing what they want to do. And I that, that makes me think that they they there is nothing you can do. If they win the legal battle, there is nothing you can do except do things that sound great, like ban them or take points off them. They were... The people in the suits on the front of the game this morning won't care about the past. They will only care about the money coming in in the future. For them to actually dislocate these football clubs from their domestic league, I still don't think they have the balls to do it. So that has to be the trump card. That has to be the the line in the sand. I, I actually care less about the, them setting up the competition in Europe. 
expanding the Champions League. It's going to happen anyway. We've seen it. You know, the, the, again, this is another side issue. It makes the this, the re, the reforms that we were expecting look like a sweet smell and bed of roses when they were, you know, stinking as well. So, you know, I, I care less about that. But what what they do in the in Europe skews the Premier League further. It makes them revenues vast, and it it distorts any you know any remaining semblance of competition in the domestic league. So. For me, the trump card is how. Well, the, the most important thing is how do you pre protect the domestic league, and the only way you can protect it is by calling the bluff and saying, the only way you can you can go off and do this is if you are no longer a member of the Premier League. Calling their bluff with the Super League is one thing. Calling their bluff with um, stopping them getting anything out of this is another entirely. And obviously, you know, we're looking partly also looking to UEFA to see what compromise you know there's obviously a lot of big talk going on about you can't do this and you can't do that and our lawyers are looking at this etc but you know to say historically i mean i think this martin ziegler was right these things this has escalated beyond any threatened breakaway i've seen in 25 years the first one i remember was 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 media partners in 98 but historically you know they threaten to break away and then they gain you know instead of one champions league European Cup place, it's four Champions League places instead of 10% of the pie, it's 50% of the pie, etc. And the very least that they want from this is less sharing uh, of revenues uh, in the new model Champions League and, and a bigger cup for them. And I suspect that's the very least they probably will get away with. And, and in itself, that takes us another stage further to more imbalance and so on. You can't kick them out the Premier League. Can you? I mean, Why? if you run the Premier League and you kick them out, what happens to your product? The broadcasters turn around and say, hold on a minute, we, we paid you five billion quid because we were expecting superstars and you haven't got them anymore. You know, and fans say, well, I was happy to pay whatever it is, 50 quid a month to watch it when there were superstars involved. But now you haven't got the biggest clubs. So it completely changes their business model if they get rid of those clubs. As I say again, I don't think they will leave. And also, it's not just um, it's not just the Premier League clubs leaving. You need clubs in Spain, Italy and England all to agree at the same time to leave their domestic leagues. That's not going to happen. These clubs are not going to do that. So you've got to make that the, that, that, that the line in the sand. That's, a, that's the biggest trump card that, that the Premier League have. And as I say, you know, Whatever, whatever the legalistic kind of future with uh, you know, or the battles of whether they, they can or cannot set up a, uh, a new Super League in Europe, the Premier League is still governed by one club, one vote, and that is that ultimately gives the other fourteen clubs the power. Yeah, maybe I'm not. I mean, I believe that they could get together twenty five clubs, thirty clubs, to say that if they got kicked out of La Liga, Serie A, the Premier League while discussions were ongoing, while court cases were ongoing for one season or two, they can manage that. And the Portos of this world might come with them, you know, and, and maybe some more teams in, in Spain lower down, maybe some teams in Italy lower down, certainly Germany. What, what are RB Leipzig going to do? Let's be honest, what did Red Bull get into it for? You know, like there are clubs out there who will help them put out some sort of a product while this gets turned around in court. And then, you know, after two or three seasons, they all might return to their respective domestic leagues and whatever it takes, basically, is what could happen. Uh, look, during the course of this conversation, I think I've been more convinced, basically, that it could happen than I was when we started. I'm just glad I don't support Liverpool or Man United. Anyone on this call? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ready, and, um, ready to turn, ready to turn their back on their, their club. Well, thankfully, I grew up near Queens Park Rangers, Matt. So this morning, I got my QPR shirts out and put them pride of place instead of the Man United ones. Let's just call it that. Just no, quickly. Matt, Matt, that is a really interesting point because throughout my life, I've always had a a sort of I don't know what you'd call it, slight embarrassment at how wonderful my club was and it used to win more than it would lose, and I would think, wonder what it's like to be constantly supporting a team that barely does anything glamorous. And the thing that made me feel okay about supporting Liverpool when they were facing lower opposition was at least my club have integrity. And I'm not just supporting a big team against a small team. I'm supporting a team that's worthy of my love. And I could fall out of love with it. Yes, you're right. I've got the split, Lords. I'm off to see Orient versus Cambridge United tomorrow. So come and join me there. Real football. The big one's going to be in a couple of months' time when all these EFL clubs that people were so passionate about and saying at least we don't support Man United or Liverpool and clubs like that suddenly sign up to the European Super League. That's going to be the real test, <laughs> isn't it? You know, what are the fans of Forest Green Rovers going to think about it? We've not even mentioned that how on earth have Spurs and Arsenal have been, even been involved in this conversation? How, uh, you know, on what basis are they deserving of a place in the European Super League? Nottingham Forest is the club that everyone everyone highlights with a kind of a richer history than, than many clubs in England and they certainly have a richer history than Spurs so you know maybe your idea about them dipping into the into the EFL to, to recruit some more clubs isn't so ludicrous after all Does anyone feel like they know what's going to happen next? When I first saw it yesterday digesting it for the first few hours I thought here we go again you know this is this is the replay of of a familiar script which ends up with the compromise with the big clubs as usual getting you know more um never satisfied but still getting more the escalation of this is the is the troubling bit and i I do think from what i understand of four or five say at least probably four or five maybe more of of this 12 that these owners are whichever you want to call it ruthless enough cynical enough contemptuous enough of of the game's traditions that they seriously think they can you know pull this off or something a version of it pull it off uh, and certainly risk all the hatred that's going to come their way i think that's bouncing off them i think you know you're a glazer in america you've been through that hatred before and i think they're they're pretty contemptuous of it the escalation of it i think is is definitely the to the scariest level certainly in my in my time watching um, watching any of these play out. There's a huge story for us to discuss next as Jose Mourinho blows his chances of winning a trophy with Spurs and Pep Guardiola blows his chances of winning the quadruple. But remember, if you're enjoying the game podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. You can also subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now across all of your devices. You'll get one month free if you sign up today as well. Just go online, search The Times uk forward slash the game to get started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. 
Massive news today as we started this podcast. In fact, during the time that we were talking to Martin Ziegler a little bit earlier on, it was announced by Tottenham Hotspur that Jose Mourinho, their manager, has been relieved of his duties. He's been sacked along with his coaching staff, João Sacramento, Nuno Santos, Carlos Lalin and Giovanni Serra. The chairman, Daniel Levy, said Jose and his coaching staff has been with us through some of our most challenging times as a club. Jose is a true professional who showed enormous resilience during the pandemic. On a personal level, I've enjoyed working with him and regret that things have not worked out as we both envisaged. He will always be welcome here and we should like to thank him and his coaching staff for their contribution. Their former midfielder, Ryan Mason, will take first team training today. Spurs say a further update will follow in due course. Now, you remember in their last match, Tottenham Hotspur drew two all away from home against Newcastle United. Now that left them two points off the top four. I mean, it's, you know, not looking that bad. Of course, other teams played after them as their match was on Friday night, but it didn't look terrible for Tottenham Hotspur at that point in time, although the results of late haven't been the best. Alison, Jose being sacked, this is like him being at Spurs for me was already an indication that he was no longer the man for a, for a big club. But the the fact that it hasn't worked out for him there so soon is very surprising. Oh, or is it? I mean, it's it's been grating along rather unedifyingly for quite some time. I mean, how many times have we what listened to managers um, when they say uh, there's nothing more they can do, or you know, it's the players, the players aren't up for it. They're 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 out of there, aren't they? And as soon as as soon as Jose said, you know, I'm the same brilliant manager as the players, what do you do with him? You either keep him and give him billions of quid to overhaul the team. That's not going to happen. Daniel Levy's not going to do that. You, you just think, no, no, I thought you were a magician, Jose, and I thought you could actually do something with a team that were on the cusp of greatness, Champions League finalists. You, you think, yeah, you, you're the magic pill that we need. And instead of doing that, he's, he's created this entity, Spurs, where they're now famous for dropping points and winning positions. Nobody wants to be the chairman of a club that does that, paying a manager a lot of money to do that. It was a an experiment that went wrong and there is no real strong evidence, I suspect, from um, Levy's point of view that keeping him in situ for the um, Carabao Cup final was going to work out. There must be bad feeling at the training ground. He must know that the players just aren't buying into it which could lead to a, quite an embarrassing outcome at Wembley. So he's done something rather drastic and said, right, we're cutting it now, we're stopping it now because it hasn't worked. Only one win in their last six for Tottenham Hotspur included being dumped unceremoniously out of the Europa League, giving away a 2-0 first leg lead, beaten 3-0 on the night by Dinamo Zagreb. But of course, it's a massive week for them. They, they play Southampton in the Premier League, but then... Of, the game you mentioned, the EFL Cup final and the, the chance of a first trophy since 2012. So, Matt, why, why now? Why has Daniel Levy done it at this point? Well, good day to bury. I was going to say bury news, but you might say that some, you know, maybe it's a way to try and win back some Spurs fans. Maybe Levy thinks so. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I think basically <laughs> this decision will be a ruthless, calcu- cold calculation um, that Spurs on this trajectory are going to miss out on certainly top four, potentially Europe completely. And there'll be a punt that there'll be some kind of bounce. Um, that bounce might 
you know, get them up the league, that bounce might bring them a trophy on Sunday. I, sus- I assume he must have spoken to, say, we're only just digesting it now, but I'm sure there'd have been conversations around the, the training ground, taking the feel of, of certain players. And yeah, that I, there, is, there is no other reason to do this other than to try and protect, uh, sorry, to try and improve your, your league position and believe that uh, a team without... Jose Mourinho has got more chance of of what basically is is looking a bit of a desperate scramble. Um, you know, even if even if say West Ham do do stutter, Chelsea and Liverpool above them, Tottenham are, Tottenham are struggling to get up in anywhere near the top four. Gregor, uh, is it a good decision? You could question the timing, but I think ultimately, I mean, I, I don't know if we kind of struck by the shock of, of the news in the last 24 hours. I was, have to say that it was one of the most shocking moments I can remember when that kind of hour passed between Pochettino getting the sack and <laughs> it being announced. <laughs> it sort of slowly emerging that the man to replace him was going to be Jose Mourinho. It was so bizarre and it was such a, an odd fit, I thought. Some of the things he's saying are true, that he's not working with this, the same quite the same calibre of players that he has been in the past. James Gearbrand wrote a really interesting piece on, on Saturday, actually, comparing. It's not just about the f- the football. It's not the style of play. You know, everybody's talking about his, his, the way he's, he sets his team up. It's not, not a way that players are getting behind. It's not a way that's going to win. It's not, not a way that's going to challenge for titles. And you look at Anto- Antonio Conte with Inter Milan just now. He's playing pretty kind of reactionary, attritional at times football, and he's going to win Serie A. And the difference is... The players are following Antonio Conte. Josie, in my view, has lost something. He's lost a spark. And there might be, you know, foot, professional footballers have, have changed a little bit over, over the last 20 years as well. But he has undoubtedly lost a little bit of a spark. And the players are not, not following him the way they once did. So ultimately, yes, it's the right decision, in my view. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke recently about him throwing players under the bus. I mean, it's not something he can currently do with the quality of player he has at Tottenham Hotspur. But you wonder whether anyone else could really have done more. I mean, there are times where they could have played better football. There are, of course, a lot of leads that they've given away. But they just don't have the quality that other teams do. And the fact that they're not that far behind in the Premier League top four race, I think, is is really intriguing. I mean, at this point, after the results of the weekend, they're, they're seventh. They're five points off the top four. There is still a chance that they could finish in the top four if whoever comes in now gives them a bit of a lift. Um, and maybe that's why this decision has been made, Alison. I disagree with you. I think there's a lot of talent at Spurs and um, uh, the defence is a bit naff. But I think a good manager good manager organises the defence. Other than in defence, I think there's promise in midfield. Hoiberg, I think, is, is a player that's it's progressed really well under Mourinho. And... As I've said before on the podcast, you, you, if, you, if you could sell off Son and Kane as a duo, any club in the world would think, yeah, yeah, I'll have that. Thank you very much. There's a lot to work with there. I think, I think, the, I think the, the feeling is that rather than just getting an extra edge by having a manager of the calibre of Mourinho there, the, the, it, the opposite has happened. It's like it's taken an edge off. It's not... There isn't that sense of progress at all. And if you feel you're stultifying, stagnating, it's not progressing. I, ge- I genuinely feel, I know they're going up and down, up and down through the league position this season, but the overall picture is one of, I don't feel they're 
getting to have a better identity or working harder or finding a rhythm, then the fact they are still close enough and it's a crazy season and anything can still happen because it is a remarkably peculiar season, that just maybe that boost of bringing somebody in could just be enough to clinch clinch a Champions League spot. But what is a Champions League spot? It's meaningless now. So I don't know. I don't know what it all means. Gregor, was this about keeping Harry Kane, do you think? Or possibly that Jose Mourinho was asking for a lot of money to spend in the summer and maybe Tottenham, with everything that's been going on, can't keep up with that. Unless, of course, some sort of European Super League comes out of the blue. <laughs> um, I don't think it can be about replacing Harry Kane because I would say, actually, this... The, the amount that's going to unsettle Spurs would probably throw his future into even more doubt right now. You're looking at an even bigger project, a bigger overhaul, and 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 as you say, whether you want Jose Mourinho to be the guy who's going to who's going to undertake that as well is another question because at Manchester United, he, as you know, he tried to sign lots of players who were kind of approaching thirty. He wants big, experienced players. He doesn't really look to the future in any great to any great degree, um, which is going against what really brought Spurs to this level actually in the first place and the fact that they had a kind of broader vision and they they signed young players to, that they developed and sometimes sold on so yeah it, it could be all of these things but ultimately I think probably it's results and the atmosphere and I think those two things are really done for him in the end I can't really pluck out a name that I think could replace Jose Mourinho right now at Tottenham Hotspur um, I mean, of course, there's plenty of managers around who would do a good job, but who would go into Tottenham right now, how everything is? Julian Nagelsmann, of course, has been mentioned for a while for the work that he's done at RB Leipzig. Uh, I, I don't know, Matt, who else? Yeah, I think Nagelsmann will be very, very high on any any list, um, particularly if you, you know, if you look into a sort of young manager who might... Um, yeah, might hang around for a, for a few years. I and mean, if you're looking domestically, um, whether Brendan Rodgers wants to jump down from third to seventh in the league um, as as things stand, but obviously, you know, the fact is that budgets are different at Tottenham than the Leicester. But he was approached before, came pretty close to 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 going to Spurs, and then ended up at Liverpool instead. That time they have sort of negotiated in the past, but I'd have thought Rogers would be pretty high on, you know, certainly looking at domestic markets. So yeah, I'd have thought him, Stroke Nagelsmann is, uh, I'd be amazed if they, they aren't two on a pretty short shortlist. All right. That brings us, I think, to our final point. Let's discuss the FA Cup semi-finals at the weekend. Leicester versus Chelsea will be the final. As we've just mentioned, Brendan Rogers, we might as well start with Leicester. They beat Southampton by a goal to nil. Wasn't a classic game by any stretch of the imagination. We were all digesting the European Super League story anyway. But it's massive for Leicester City. Their first FA Cup final since 1969. Uh, if he does leave, he, he could leave with a slice of history, Brendan Rodgers. Um, it, it's remarkable, Gregor, what they've done there. Absolutely, yeah. You're right. It wasn't a classic by any, any stretch of the imagination. But Leicester are kind of... I think this season they've been the most adaptable team in the league. They've had to deal with a lot of injuries. Um, you know, the emergence of, when Vardy was out, the emergence of Ian Acho, and now the two of them are playing up front together. And know Vardy's not scoring. He's providing, you know, he's he created the goal. Um, and the way they, you know, that back three as well is one of the best in, in the league, undoubtedly. And, uh, you know, Fofana's going to be highly sought after, I, I believe. So Yunchu's been, you know, he stepped, when Maguire left, he stepped in. Uh, Johnny Evans was a three million pound signing from West Brom. They're one of the best run clubs in the country, undoubtedly. And you know, undoubtedly as well, Brendan Rodgers, his kind of future, particularly if they were to win the FA Cup, that would be like you know, if they won the FA Cup and got in the top four, what what else does he do at Leicester? I think you know they would 
there could be a, a serious danger of him looking, you know, being more open to, to an approach from someone like Spurs in the future. So you've got to say that they're going to have a chance as well. They're they're uh, very solid defensively, and they've always always got a threat with with Vardy and and the former Vianaccio at the moment. So. Um, I think it's got the makings of a really good final, actually. Yeah, I think they'll be looking forward to it. And I think they'll be happier playing Chelsea than Manchester City. And I'll leave the final word on Manchester City to you, Alison Rudd. Not to, I'm not rubbing it in your face in particular. Just everyone that listens to the podcast will know that, as I pointed out in the very last episode, if you make as many as eight changes like Pep Guardiola did at the weekend, you will disrupt your team's ability to keep winning matches, which for me is exactly why they were beaten by Chelsea at the weekend. What did you think of it? I think maybe Thomas Tuchel listened to you, who because he seemed to know that those changes were coming and he prepared for them. Chelsea were as disciplined and as containedly energetic, if that can be such a thing, but that's what they are. They feel like they've they've got the full 90 minutes work rate in them, but they never sort of look like they've huffed and puffed through any period of that of that match. So they just sort of dominated City in terms of tempo of the game, uh, controlled midfield, Kante was excellent. Um, it was just a masterclass in guessing what would happen, that they that City would be slightly, just ever so slightly disjointed. And they were, and they just, 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 just had fun exposing that. It was actually remarkably, and no one would have predicted it, it was actually quite a one-sided semi-final. I thought there was echoes a little bit, sorry, of, um, of their defeat to Arsenal last season as well. Or, you know, they were brave enough to kind of, play through and on the counter and in fact it was often Kieran Tierney last season releasing uh, Aubameyang I think that's where one of the goals came from so also if you're City now and you're looking who, who they're facing in 10 days in, in Paris Saint-Germain and they're kind of suddenly the, that familiar weakness of the counter-attack has kind of been illuminated again I think is Pep now going to try and rethink what happens in the Champions League it opens up all sorts of avenues and who knows what's going to come well and also I mean if we're talking you know I mean obviously it's it's um, they're not going to be winning a quadruple and um, there's potential uh, bigger ramification if De Bruyne's you know screwed for even even one of those uh, PSG games um, I mean he's you know he's he's their most most important player full stop he's their best player and um, if yeah if he's in um, jeopardy at all over for those matches then that's that is a big deal Matt Dickinson Alison Rudd Gregor Robertson thank you for being with me for the past hour or so maybe a bit longer thank you so much so much to talk about though today we'll be back on Thursday as well we'll see how Spurs get on in their next match against Southampton without Jose Mourinho we'll look ahead to another big weekend as well of course with the EFL Cup final coming uh, remember though if you're enjoying the podcast give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and make sure you're subscribed as well you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times right now across all of your devices for more of our award-winning journalism. If you sign up today, you'll get one month free. Just go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We will see you on Thursday. 